You're listening to the Night Demon Network. Go to nightdemon.net slash subscriber to unlock more exclusive content. Welcome to the Night Demon Heavy Metal Podcast. I'm your host, Nesbitt, and this week we're diving back into the history of Night Demon and the year 2013, which is a huge year for Night Demon. This is Night Demon, the early years. So moving into 2013, which is a huge year for Night Demon, physical release of the EP, new material, new tours, major lineup changes, 2013 is probably the most significant year in Night Demon's formation in moving from a fun side project into a major metal force. Here's Jarvis Leatherby. 2013 was a very monumental year for Night Demon. A lot of stuff happened in 2013, and this was the year that we had decided to take it seriously, and not only not only that, but really take it to the next level and put everything we had into it. Now, that's not to say that it was an easy walk through the park. There were a lot of obstacles in the way. But we persevered, and this is the story of that. So 2013 starts off right away with live shows. So January 5th, 2013, Night Demon plays a show at Billy O's in Ventura, California with Castle and Sutratma. Right off the bat, I remember like right after New Year's, we had a show at Billy O's, the Irish bar that I've mentioned before on this podcast, kind of like the local dive where you know, punk and metal bands could play. And uh, Eddie Numskull threw us on with this band Castle that was on Prosthetic Records. They were a three-piece band from Canada that had just moved to L.A. and they were touring heavily. They were touring a lot. Hold your breath Go right between the eyes ahead Kill it all if 
Um, also, Brent's other band, Sutratma, was on the bill with a couple of our other friends in that band, and that were in that band from various other Santa Barbara bands. But uh, Sutratma was really interesting. Actually, their subgenre is considered funeral doom. a doom metal band that's really slow. I remember our friend Martin who played drums. He uh, he had to wear headphones because they had to play to a click track because it's 60 BPM is uh, the tempo that they play at. who knows um, anything about music. I'm sure these days you can look it up on the internet, 60 BPM metronome. It's very slow. It's so slow that he needed it to keep time. Digress. They were a great band, and you know we we would occasionally end up on bills like this where uh, Brent was doing double duty. In the later days, it was me doing double duty, but but back in the early days here, um, it just happened. You know whether Night Demon was playing with the fucking Wrath or playing with a band like Sutratma. And I remember something very significant and specific about this gig. It was the winter time. It was pretty cold. And um, Dusty had been playing in New Liberty at the time, and he had recently broken up with his girlfriend. And, uh, you know, there's an, there's an old stereotype and an old joke in the musician world, and it's a stereotype because it's generally true. It's a generalization because it's generally true. And it's, what do you call a, a musician without a girlfriend? And the punchline to that is homeless. So, uh, he had just broken up with his girlfriend and he was homeless. He, he was living at her apartment. He didn't have a place to live. So he was back in the new Liberty RV sleeping in parking lots, but this thing had been musty as hell. At this time, nobody had lived in there in over a year. There was like leaks in the roof and stuff. And it was just a pretty shitty situation for him. So Armand would let him sleep at his studio a lot. Um, even when he wasn't around, which was very cool. We had broken up one time and then gotten back together. But the one, the first time that we broke up, uh, I ended up roadieing for Night Demon, doing lights and helping them plug things in on the changeover. They were playing with the band Castle. And 
you know, I, I had no, I had, I was homeless again because I didn't have my girlfriend and we were, you know, she stayed in the place. And then I ended up staying with my buddy, Willie, Willie Love, who I moved cross country with from New Liberty. And he was staying in this like run down old house that was like leaning to one side. And there was like, not that it was a crack den, but it was very, very close to that. And it was rough conditions, uh, dirty. Ugh, I don't know. It was a roof over my head at that point in time. I think I stayed there for like, I don't know, three and a half weeks. And it felt like an eternity. Yeah. So it was a, it was a pretty crazy time to, to be out here and, and doing it. Um, so I worked this gig with Night Demon for the castle when they, I think they opened for castle and I came in and, and helped them. It was when John was playing drums. And uh, I remember on this specific night, you know, I mean, he's got no girlfriend anymore. He's, he doesn't have much to do. And he wanted to come to this gig with us. And he said, hey, I'll roadie for you guys. So we're like, oh, that's awesome. So, um, but it was just so interesting seeing him like tuning John Criar's drums and just all this kind of drummer stuff that I was like, man, this is incredible. Like, you know, we had been friends for for a, a few years by this point, uh, Dusty and I. But, you know, I wasn't in a band with him. We had just done a couple side thing gigs here and there together. And, you know, I didn't really hang out with him much one-on-one besides the times I was hanging out with him and the rest of the New Liberty guys. Actually, I take that back. There, is, there, <laughs> there was one time that uh, Dusty actually saved my life and, uh, yeah, um, that's a whole nother story, but I was actually blacked out and I don't remember any of it. The night that I saved Jarvis's life. Okay. So I called it, uh, Jarvis's big day out. Uh, he was hanging out with our friend Sam Bole and we went to the, you know, I was hanging out with some friends that night. We ended up going to this like after hours bar that I'd never been to and I don't think I ever went to again. You had to go upstairs, you go into this this like bar and we were having some drinks, hanging out. Next thing you know, Sam and Jarvis show up. Sam kind of gives me like a look, you know, and I'm just kind of like, all right. And Sam's like, I'm out of here. He's all yours. So he just like leaves him with us because obviously Jarvis was on one. And there's a funny picture. I don't know where it is, but I'm like standing there and Jarvis has his, his mouth so far in my ear, just like pulling me towards him and like, just like yelling in my ear, like just yell talking, you know, I don't even know what he was talking about, but the picture of the sheer terror on my face and like uncomfortable Look, <laughs> I mean, if a you know that's that's a picture, you know that's what is the term? A picture is worth a thousand words. That that's it right there. So that was the start. So now Jarvis is like hanging out with us. I think it was me, my buddy Shane, Willie, like the New Liberty crew, right? And we ended up going to our friend Tiffany's house because Willie was like rooming with her at the time. And Jarvis actually lived like not even a half a block away. Like literally like was like diagonal on the street that he lived on. And 
he came into the house and he was just like on fire, like on his back, on the floor. Like, I think she had a Christmas tree up at the time. It was around Christmas time or something. He's like messing with the Christmas tree, uh, talking about all kinds of stuff that we had no idea what he was talking about. Like, I had it recorded. I had the whole thing recorded on my old iPhone. I had like an iPhone 3. And I think I downloaded it onto my my old Mac, but I don't know. Since then, this this file has, has been long gone. But it was like 45 minutes of him just rambling and talking and uh, it was a it was a it was a rough one. Actually, now I think about it, I wonder what year that was. It had to have been maybe like I don't even think 19 was around yet. It was either 2010 or 2011. Like maybe right from when 2010 turned into 2011. I'm not quite sure, but that was that was an interesting one. So we like I, I don't I think we ended up like walking him home then because it was so close and like I don't think he knew where he was. He, he pretty much blacked out. So <laughs> I'm glad those days are over, you know, for him, for his sake and for ours. So besides that, besides the, the night that I blacked out and he saved my life, um, which I'm still grateful for because I'm grateful to be alive, um, you know, we didn't hang out much together one-on-one. So this was a kind of an opportunity to, uh, you know, just talk a little more about stuff. And uh, I remember that night we went across the street, across the street from Billio's was an old Italian restaurant in Ventura called Ferraro's. They didn't, unfortunately, they did not make it through the pandemic, but they were, they were open for decades and it was an amazing old school Italian place. And they always had, you know, like autographed eight by 10 glossies on the wall framed of all the famous people that had eaten there and stuff. But they had an eight by 10 of our buddies, Sirith Ungle, the only other real metal band that ever made it out from Ventura. And uh, that's the first night that Dusty, uh, who are these guys? <laughs> and we're like, oh boy, okay. Like, there's a lo- there's a long story here, but I was like, I'll always remember that that was a that was a f- the first night that that he knew about those guys. And this was you know three years before we had reunited the band, so it's pretty cool to, to look back on that. We went to Ferraro's across the street um, from the club Billios that they were playing. I saw the Sir Ungle picture on the wall because they, you know, Brent and Jarvis pointed it out. And I was like, Sarah Thungle, I was like, I never heard of them. Um, and they had it like signed because they, you know, it was like an Italian restaurant. And I don't know, if, I'm sure Rob probably went there over the years because he's always the one that gives people all kinds of promotion, promotional stuff, stuff like that. And he signed it and whatnot. So that was actually the first time that I had heard about Sarah Thungle. And Brent was like, yeah, I actually have some of their records and um, they kind of gave me a little bit of a synopsis on the band and, you know, I just, they were signed to Enigma and, you know, Poison was on Enigma. So that's the only thing that like rang a bell with me. I was like, oh, that's rad. And, uh, you know, that was my first introduction to the band and my first introduction into Night Demon after I'd, you know, seen them live at least once or twice at that point. And then... Jarvis asked me to come in and help them with lights and gave me like 25 bucks or something like that for coming out. And so that was interesting. I had no idea I was going to be in the band. 
the gig went really well, and it wasn't well attended. But I mean, we were just kind of doing this thing. It didn't matter on weeknights or whatever. We, you know, when we got called to gigs, we would we would just do it to go out and play and hopefully sell a couple T-shirts, make a few bucks, turn on some new fans. And we just loved playing heavy metal. I mean, shit, why not? Um, and I remember uh, Dusty uh, let the guys from Castle sleep at at Armand's studio that night because he was kind of like studio sitting, I guess you could say. And that was really cool. So, you know, the thing, I guess the main point here is that this is the, at the beginning of 2013, we really started to develop camaraderie uh, with other bands from, you know, different regional areas or even other states and countries, just touring bands. We were all about that. We started to develop a camaraderie and we thought we better, we better, uh, start hooking up people here because when we leave, we're going to need that too. We're not going to be able to afford to stay at a hotel or, or anything like that. I mean, keep in mind, we're still in the stage of this is a really fun outlet for us. And by no means is this going to be a way of life for us. And, and that, that was in, you know, those were, were those earlier stages of, of denial. And um, we pushed on through that for sure. the month of January of 2013, we had a little bit of a situation at our rehearsal space. So, you know, even though we're trekking along and this is the year that we're really pushing that a lot of things would happen, our lives would completely change and we would make the transition and morph into a full-time heavy metal band uh, you know, no, no dream, no journey goes on without its fair share of obstacles. And so here we are. We have this practice space. It's right next to the captain's quarters, Armand's studio, which at the time was called Satellite Studios. And we have all these bands sharing this awesome big warehouse and it made the rent super cheap. There was plenty of room for everybody's gear. I mean, we were all set up in the same room, but there was, like I said, there was plenty of space. This place was the birth of Night Demon and it was just, you know, I mean, we had already developed some memories there and we, we were comfortable there. It was awesome. Here's former Night Demon drummer, John Creer. So, um, like all bands, you need a place to jam. And for a long time, the, the Wrath had a warehouse out in Santa Paula. And, uh, you know, we know Armand. We always record with Armand. And he said, hey, guys, there's a place next to you opening up. So Craig, the singer of the Wrath, looked into it, got contacted the property manager, got us in there. And, you know, it was awesome. It was like a big old warehouse with like two other rooms in there. And so it was the Wrath, Stop Breathing, Catholic Spit, and I think Glass and Ashes um, were jamming in there. And then, of course, Night Demon started jamming in there too. 
once they started jamming. And then once I joined the band, we all jammed there together. Um, but there is a warehouse next to it that we're pretty sure the guy who rented it out started living in there. And so he started complaining to the property manager that we were just too loud, that we were too loud, even though it's in a warehouse district where you could be as loud as you want, really. Um, but I, he had the warehouse for like 20 years or something. So he had higher priority than we did the new kids on the block, so to speak. Um, but uh, the guy next door was just always complaining, always complaining about the noise. And so what uh, Craig decided to do, the singer of the fucking wrath, he decided to do a benefit show at Billy O's again, uh, basically for the practice space. And he his idea was to have every band play every band that was rehearsing here play and just raise money so that we can buy some lumber and maybe even hire a contractor or something to professionally build out, you know, some way to kind of soundproof this thing a little bit more. I mean, soundproofing, you know, we can all tell you from experiences, it's near impossible. You can't really soundproof anything unless you have like six feet of concrete all around you, including the ceiling and stuff, you know, at the decibel levels that we play at. But I mean, even that is just like, fuck. I mean, you got to breathe, right? <laughs> so uh, anyway, but there are ways to dampen it. Let's do a benefit show where we could build out better soundproofing rooms so it won't annoy them more, you know, so we could make this work. So we play a benefit show at Billio's, which is the local bar at the time that, you know, basically anything goes inside there, which was always cool. So we had all the bands that practiced there, plus a couple of our friends who didn't practice there. So we were on that path. That's what we were doing. And so we did this show. The lineup of the show was The Fucking Wrath, Stop Breathing, Messenger, Night Demon, Super Champ, and Power. So these are all the bands that practice in this same space. Actually, you know what? There's, I think, No Say also rehearsed there. There was another band. There were so many bands rehearsing in the same spot. But again, we had enough space. It was a great situation. So the show went well. We raised enough money to, um, to make something happen here. And it was all hands on deck. It was like all the guys in the bands came down and we had uh, a friend of Craig's who was a contractor who just basically kind of helped us out and gave us advice on what to do. And, you know, he, he, he lifted some ha- a hammer too, you know, but, uh, uh, you know, we ended up doing all this structural stuff and putting up some walls and, you know, laying stuff into the foundation of the concrete. And it just didn't work. The guy just kept complaining and complaining and complaining. And before we knew it, I mean, we were basically thrown out. So it's not just Night Demon without a rehearsal space. It's all of these bands. It was pretty fucked. And we raised a bunch of money, bought a bunch of supplies, started building out the room. And the guy next door still was not convinced and was not happy, pretty much because we're sure he was living there. So he got us kicked out. And then we had to move across the train tracks, literally across the train tracks, to Rick Hunter's practice space 
where Jarvis used to jam with some of his old bands way back in the day. So we were back in familiar territory at the Hunters. Um, you know, the fucking Wrath and Stop Breathing, the other, the other two bands that John Criar was in at the time, ended up getting a space. Brent was also in the fucking Wrath, as we know. But they ended up getting a, a very, very small rehearsal space at Rick Hunter's studio, which is literally right up, it's on the same street that, that, that we're on here. Um, but, you know, I mean, it's just, the conditions are a lot different and it's, uh, it's, uh, it's much smaller, but you know, it's, it's a magical place. It's been there for as long as I can remember. I actually remember being in my first band, being in Black Opal and my mom taking me to this place that's just being built. And that's where I met Rick and, you know, come, come to, come to pass. I mean, no motive rehearsed there. Armand's old studio was there and there's only like 10 rooms in this whole place. But it, it's a magical place. A lot of great music has been created there. A lot of great, great stuff has come out of there. Um, and it's, it's been a part of the, the local music community for so long. And it's kind of the place, like only cool bands go there too. And you, you kind of got to know about it. So uh, Night Demon was able to practice in the room that, that the fucking wrath and stop breathing was was uh, paying for a monthly lockout on. And so we chipped in some money. And like I said, Brent and John were already, John was in two of the other bands and Brent was in one of them. So John ends up being in three bands that practices at the same place. And so, uh, you know, it, it worked out and there was, there was a lot of magic there. There was a lot of magic in that building and, you know, everything does happen for a reason. And that's where we wrote pretty much like most of the Curse of the Damned album, so, um, you know, again, we, you know, our friends and our, our friends and bands and, and us personally, I mean, we're always trying to make the best effort that we can to just, you know, facilitate our own stuff. But it doesn't matter when you're playing rock and roll, when you're playing heavy rock, there's always going to be something that stands in the way. Hey, guys, Nesbitt here. If you'd like to support Night Demon and this podcast, the best way to do it is to become a Night Demon subscriber. Not only will you be doing your part to support a true heavy metal band out there really living it, you'll also gain access to a ton of extras. Bonus audio content, a subscriber-only merch store with rare items from the band's archives, you can stream never-before-heard demos and unearth live concerts from the live vaults, Communicate with the other Night Demon diehards on an exclusive subscriber forum and gain early access to all press releases, album pre-orders, new merchandise, and a ton more. And another thing that I think is pretty cool is Night Demon will be donating 10% of every subscription fee to the Metal Cares Foundation, which is a charitable fund the band started in 2014 to aid those in our metal community. So head over to nightdemon.net slash subscriber and join us as we make heavy metal history together as one. And on a side note, I'll personally think you're a great A badass. <laughs> so Night Demon in early 2013, they continue to play gigs. There's some cool show posters that come out of this era, uh, done by Eric Kudla. 
And you can check them out in the subscriber section on nightdemon.com. But you can see that Night Demon's really kind of cementing their visual style as far as their logo, their media, and their posters. But uh, January 28th marks another first for Night Demon, their first Los Angeles show. In the early winter, Night Demon played our very first show in Los Angeles. There was one opening band, and then we were up, and we were followed by this band, Hollywood Jesus, really cool guys that had John Locks from Warbringer, um, who we had met, and then uh, Ex Mortis, who we became very good friends with, but th- this was the first time that we had met them. Hey, this is Mario Moreno from Without Death Merch and ex-drummer of Ex Mortis. In 2013, I feel like um, extreme metal was more dominating and there wasn't really bands that had the um, kind of traditional rock heavy metal sound that Night Demon was doing, at least not throughout the scene. It was kind of maybe just here and there, but I just remember that really made Night Demon stick out to me. I want to say the first time I saw Night Demon was in L.A., but I just remember being blown away about how awesome a three-piece band could sound. And the tunes were just so catchy. And I just remember being hooked, like, right away. I was like, dude, these guys rock so hard. So just to put this into context, where we grew up in Ventura was only an hour north of L.A. But for us, it was like a whole nother country. So, like, you know, going to L.A., you know, before Guitar Center was a big thing, you know, it was only in Hollywood or or when we would have to go to big concerts, we'd have to go to LA. So growing up out here, um, you know, that's where things were happening. As as we've said many times before, there was no scene for metal in Ventura, and there never really ever was. In LA, you had so many bands. I mean, hard rock and heavy metal, you know, besides uh, the UK, you know, places like LA and New York. I mean, this is where this stuff, you know, was was born. And of course, we have the whole 80s Sunset Strip thing that happened. And, you know, I mean, that that influenced us in some way too and affected us um, when we were younger because we, we knew about that stuff happening. It just, it just was never happening where we were from. And when... You know, when you're young and and you can't drive and your parents have to take you everywhere, it's like, you know, L.A. was basically, like I said, it was like another country and it seemed just so far away because there's not much in between Ventura and, and L.A. as far as any kind of scene for anything. So, uh, you know, when I was old enough to drive, I started to go to L.A., you know, once a week and I was going to shows on school nights and just soaking it up, everything I... Every in every which way I could, and you know, previous bands that that we were in growing up, you know, we'd go down to the whiskey and play and do the whole pay to play thing and sell fifty tickets and hope to get discovered and and hope that you you know, I mean, it's just that that uh, 
that Hollywood story, right? And even Dusty can attest to that, you know, when with him moving out west with New Liberty, I mean, one of the first things they did was hit the Sunset Strip and they're like, whoa, this place is like uh, not what we thought it was. This isn't like the 80s anymore. Of course it's not. But, um, you know, so LA is just such a large metropolis. And when we finally got out there to play a show, um, you know, I mean, it was something that, that we definitely needed to do as a band. Uh, we needed to break out a little bit more. And, you know, as the progression has gone along, also, as we've talked about in these early days episodes, is the band started to take itself a little bit more seriously. But playing this show in LA was the catalyst that really threw it overboard. Like if I, if I, you know, looking back on all of this, if I had to pick one incident or one scenario that was kind of the deciding factor, it was this night. It was this specific night. So to give you a little bit of context, um, and you know, this is the, this is kind of, this is not me. Uh, this is not a woe is me moment. This is not me just being a victim. But I do feel that telling our personal journey through life is very valuable to telling the whole story of Night Demon because personal lives and emotions and all that stuff really do play out in what we do in our lives and the things that we go for. And it determines our, our motivations for the way we carry our lives out. So with that preface, um, you know, I was at a job for a long time and I, and I worked in the Valley, which is basically the armpit of LA. So it's between Ventura and downtown LA, and it's just not a very desirable area. And it's kind of like, you know, where, uh, you know, if you can't afford to live in nicer LA, you, you live in the Valley. I mean, many of you who've watched many Hollywood films kind of know about this. So, you know, I was just in a very unfulfilling position in my life. And, you know, I was, I was, uh, just over 30 years old and I had what I felt like, you know, no, no life or no skills, no job skills. I wouldn't say I didn't have life skills. I had a ton of life experience, but, um, you know, it, it was just a, a dismal thing. And, you know, I was, I was working in the music business too. So what I was doing is I was, I was meeting all of these rock stars and really helping them out. And I was just doing a lot of things for other, for other people. And my music was basically a hobby. And it was, you know, I would tour on vacations and with, with the heartbeats and stuff on vacation from work. And I would constantly be stressed about that while I was gone. And, you know, I just got to a point where I just kind of said, you know, like what the things that we actually do in our lives is what we do. That's when we can say we do something. If somebody you know, where to ask me what I, what, well, what do you do? You know, my, my first reaction would always be, oh, well, I'm a, I'm a musician, you know? Um, 
And that's how I felt inside. That's, that's who I was at heart. But what I really was, was the manager of an audio repair company in the Valley. So I just had to start saying it and it helped me a lot in, in the, the journey to transition. So I would complain about my job all the time to John and Brent. I mean, poor guys, <laughs> like I would come home from work, you know, after, you know, 10, 11 hours a day, including my commute. And we would rehearse at night and it was just, my attitude was terrible because I just hated my life. And I felt like I was a slave and a prisoner to this. But, you know, real in reality, looking back, it was a choice. I was making my own my own choices and that that suffering was was something that i that i chose by not having the courage to walk away from something like that and you know just because of the fear of thinking that there was nothing else out there for me and i was going to be broken homeless so in 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 January in the the early winter of 2013 when we went down to play this LA show I was in a really 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 bad spot and I was just I I loved what the heartbeats were doing but I was losing some steam on it and I but I really really loved what was happening with Night Demon I just loved I looked forward to going to rehearsal I I loved the vibe of everything that we were doing. It was capturing the things that I wanted to do in my youth. And I was, I felt like I was finally skilled enough to do the things that, that I, that I wanted to do. I'd been playing music long enough that I had arrived at that level, but I was still in this shitty situation in my life. And I thought I was too old and there's all these other factors, you know, uh, drugs and alcohol played a factor in it too. And, you know, I made a lot of bad decisions in my personal life. Um, but in this particular night, I remember it was, it was a Monday night. It was a metal Monday. And we played at a club in downtown LA called the Down and Out. And I remember John and Brent coming to my work in the valley and picking me up. And I was just, man, I was just in a really bad headspace. I was kind of nervous for the show, but really I was just it's still in the mindset that there were no expectations with Night Demon. And so I didn't expect us to have, you know, the big, uh, the big LA Hollywood discovery, the thing that, the thing that we all wanted our whole lives, the thing when we would go down and play LA. I mean, I even remember in high school going down to the Troubadour with, with Armand's band, the whereabouts when we were in high school and like roadieing for them. And like, we've been trying to do this for so long, you know? And so I just got to a really bad spot. And I remember when we got to the venue, um, I mean, this place was like one block away from Skid Row. So it's like the worst part of downtown LA. People are getting murdered, uh, robbed, you know, all kinds of shit. And we went into, we went to the front door and the security guy had this huge like scar on his face. It went all the way down. Like he had gotten knifed 
from like the top of his scalp down to his chin. I mean, he was a, he was an okay guy, but it was just kind of like, whoa, like, (laughs) you know, he, he fit the scene for sure. But I remember he searched everything. He opened our drum cases, guitar cases, searched us personally every time we went in and out of the door to load something in. So that was kind of the danger level of this place. So it, it was just a small club, maybe probably 150 people fit in this place. And um, I don't know. I think all all of the stress of that got to me and the stress of my life. And I was just in a, I was in a very bad spot. And um, I'm going to say something here. And I, and I don't, again, this is not a, I'm not a victim and I'm, I'm not looking for sympathy, but I think it's important um, in our history, the truth. Um, but I remember telling Brent, after we loaded in and we were just kind of standing around, we didn't know anybody. Um, I told him, I said, you know, I think I'm going to kill myself tonight. And he was like, whoa, what? And, you know, I mean, what I do, what I do remember about that conversation and what I do remember about, you know, what he said, I think at the time, I was maybe just kind of trying to reach out and um you know I felt that he 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 hadn't really helped me but to his credit I mean like come on what do you say to something like that you know and I I do remember him saying like look you know I'm I'm not good at this stuff you know I mean at least he was upfront about it he's like look I'm not good at this stuff and I I don't know what to say, but just please don't do that. You know, like you can't, you can't do that. And, um, (laughs) man, um, I, you know, I talk about these suicidal ideations in in the song, kill the pain that we released in 2020, which I'm sure we're going to cover soon enough. But, um, you know, I do think it's important to to discuss these things it, as difficult as it is for me um i i do think it's important um so anyway i just said you know what i'm going to play this show and i'm going to play it like it's my last because it, it in my mind it was so we went up there and we had these three red lights we had we had a backdrop and then we had these three um, really old stage lights, hot as fuck park hands. And we would, we placed them on the floor and they would just shoot right up in our faces. So we couldn't really see anything, but we asked them to turn off all the lights in the bar and all the neon signs. And it was just, it completely transformed the vibe in there. And we had just our little smoke machine going the entire time, filled up this bar with smoke. And we just went out there and we kicked fucking ass. And it was raw as fuck. And people absolutely loved it. I mean, they were, it was fucking insane. And in that, in that moment, you know, when I got off stage, uh, a a switch just like flicked in my head and it was almost like, uh, well, you know, I mean, basically I, I decided like, look, I'm not, I'm not going to, 
I'm not going to take the cowardly way out. You know, I'm not going to, and I'm not going to leave the people that care about me. I'm not going to ruin their lives by, by leaving this world because I'm, I'm too afraid to chase my passions. And it's almost like that scene in, in Goodfellas. Um, for anybody that's seen that movie, if you haven't, you must. It's one of the best Scorsese flicks. But when they're, they're, they're going to kill Maury and um, De Niro's character is telling, uh, he keeps talking about it to Henry Hill throughout the night. Like, tonight's the night. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. And, and they're like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. This doesn't feel right. And uh, uh, they have some drinks and things go well. And then De Niro's character kind of says to Ray Liotta's character, Henry Hill, he kind of says, hey, you know, forget about what I said earlier. Forget, forget about it, you know? And uh, that's kind of like how I was with Brent. I was just like, hey, remember what I said earlier? Yeah, no, forget about it. And I don't know how the hell he was supposed to take that. You know, I mean, what a what a crazy, I mean, schizophrenic way to to act on my part, you know? And uh, <laughs> there, there was redemption in playing a show like It's My Last. And I told myself I'm going to do that with every gig that ever happens from, from, from that point on. And, uh, you know, my, my advice to anybody who's thinking about, about leaving this mortal plane to their, you know, with by their own devices, just go to sleep and wake up tomorrow and then think about it. You know, give yourself some time. Life can change on a dime. It, it, it really can, and it does, okay? It's, it's not that it only can, it does. And, you know, your emotions are like waves. You just have to ride the wave and get through it. Whether it's good or bad, There'll be another wave that comes, but the water will settle. And I, th- I think it's very, very, very important to, to just take the time and t- don't overthink it. Don't think about things. Just think about what you want in your life. That's it. You can't, it's scientifically proven that you can't have a negative thought and a positive thought at the same time. And the positive thoughts will do something to you emotionally. It will change your physiology for the better. And you have to have some hope and you have to have some goals. Even if you don't know what those goals are, you have to be thinking about it. You have to be asking yourself the questions about what you want. And then that does eventually become clear. So the first time we actually played in L.A., um, my friend Joe Jughead and his buddy Paul had been doing shows around LA, um, a bunch of shows, metal and punk shows. And, you know, obviously we sent him the Night Demon stuff. I was like, hey, man, put us on a show. He put us on a show. And we get down there and it was a metal show, full on metal show. We show up with our lights, our smoke, just what we do. And, you know, turned on, rocked out. Played really good, I think. If what I remember, it was really good. We were really like stoked on the band. We we're like, yeah, oh yeah, this this is it. People were super stoked on it. Everyone was like, 
this band rules. You guys are awesome. And I think that's when it started to get more serious, uh, trying to get better shows and trying to like do more with the band. So the very next day, I walked into work and I said, I quit. And, <laughs> you know, my bosses has, they, they have, they have heard this from me before and, you know, throughout the years. And every time I did that, I got a raise and I felt good for about 10 minutes. I walked back to my desk and felt like a cheap whore because I was basically, you know, I was getting paid more money, but I was still doing the shit that I didn't want to do. And now, since I've been, quote unquote, rewarded, I'm supposed to be grateful for this. And that's really when, what put into perspective that, you know, money in the, in the material world is not as fulfilling. I mean, yes, we need money and we need things, but do we really, you know? I mean, there's nothing wrong with money and there's nothing wrong with, with certain forms of materialism, but ultimately when you're you're spending most of your time and most of your life doing something you hate just to to live. I mean, there's other ways about it. So I basically decided that I was done and I was going to go full-time into Night Demon. This was it. Something magical had happened and I knew, I just felt it in my bones that if I don't give this 100% of my effort, it's not going to happen. And you know if if it's certainly not going to happen if i if i stay the way that i am so you know in order in order to to have a different life you have to you, if you want different results you have to do different things so was it scary yeah it was fucking scary and i basically had to tell everybody around me my family and friends and say look I may end up the guy in the gutter, you know, I may end up homeless. I mean, which I did. Um, but you know, I never got to gutter level. Thank God. Thanks for a lot of people helping me out along the way. But, um, that was the decision. It's like, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. So if that means that I have no social life anymore because I can't afford it or because I've alienated people because I can't participate in the activities that that we do. That was fine with me because those activities had gotten me to that point in my life where I was so unhappy that I was ready to to leave, you know? And that was a very empowering moment. And my bosses um, basically convinced me to stay for another year. Well, actually, first they offered me a stake in the company. And I just thought, man, I've been down this road before and I just can't do this. There's no amount of money that can can make me happy doing this. Um, and so I helped them restructure the company and they agreed to give me a severance. And so I stayed actually for another eight months is what I did. And I trained, it, it's, 
I had to train three other people to do, do my job. They hired three people to do my job. And that told me a lot. I was like, wow, look at how much effort I put into this where it takes three people to replace me. And they, they just, they don't want to let me go. You know, what if I did this for my band? What if I did this for my own life? And that's, and that's what, that's exactly what happened. So this show at the down and out was the, was the thing that, that completely changed my life. And I'm glad that I, that I hung in there. And again, to everybody out there going through something like that, you have to hang in, okay? You got to do it. If you're not going to do it for yourself, at least do it for the people that love and care about you. So the first LA show with Ex Mortis is a turning point for Jarvis and for Night Demon. And that's all the time we have for this episode. So be sure to check out the subscriber section on nightdemon.net for show posters for the shows in this episode. Uh, There's a video of Jarvis's big day out, as Dusty calls it. There's pictures of the jam space and the fundraiser gig, plus tons of audio and video and image galleries for the past 60-plus episodes. Until next time, this is Nesbitt signing off. Thanks for listening to the Night Demon Heavy Metal Podcast. Head over to nightdemon.net, click on the subscriber tab, and sign up to access exclusive weekly bonus content. If you would like to donate to support the Night Demon Heavy Metal Podcast, you can do so through PayPal at paypal.me slash nightdemonmetal. Additionally, if you have not already done so, please subscribe, like, rate, and review the show on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. All hail, Night Demon Heavy Metal Podcast listeners. This is Dusty Squires chiming in to tell you about my brand new signature sticks from the London Drumstick Company. I've dreamt of having my very own drumsticks ever since I was a wee lad, and LDC made that a possibility for me. Founded in 2016 in London, England, the birthplace of heavy metal, the London Drumstick Company has trailblazed a path through the music industry and taken the drummer world by storm. When I met them for the first time, they knew their product was going to withstand the beatings of a Night Demon show. They took the time to work with me on getting everything just right. The balance and weight of my sticks are the same no matter what, and the durability is bar none the best I've ever had. I know my sticks will last through the set night after night. 
I'm truly honored to work with a company that caters to their players the way LDC does. Their innovation and attention to detail is what separates them from the rest of the stick makers out there. Their custom stick sleeves are unbelievable and really make the entire presentation complete. Wait until you see the design they came up with for me. It blew my mind and was a surprise to say the least. They have all kinds of amazing swag, including hoodies, t-shirts, drummer shorts, drum keys, stick bags, towels, face masks, practice pads, and much, much more. Even if you're not a drummer, you can be a part of Demon History and order my brand new signature sticks direct from their website. How cool is that? And to top it off, the London Drumstick Company are giving an exclusive offer to the Night Demon Heavy Metal Podcast listeners. Go to londondrumsticks.co.uk and receive a 15%, 15% store-wide discount using promo code DEMONSTICKS. All capital letters, no spaces, DEMONSTICKS. D-E-M-O-N-S-T-I-C-K-S. I can't thank everyone there enough for the opportunity to be a part of their family and for them trusting me with their amazing products. See you metal maniacs on the road very soon. And yes, the wood chips will be flying. Greetings, boils and ghouls. This is your comrade, the Crypt Keeper here, reporting dead from the sanctuary of the strange. Tonight's macabre myth is a fright-filled feature, one overflowing with monsters, madness, and magic. <laughs> Visit our website at monstersmadnessandmagic.com to stay up to date on all the dark dealings within the sanctuary of the strange. Enjoy the show. Hey Metalheads, I'm Mark and I host Metal Forge. Let me tell you about the show. The Metal Forge features the best underground metal from all over the world. We spend every week with a different artist with interviews, in-depth conversations, and most of all, the music. We also feature audience interactivity where you can submit your questions to the upcoming guests. New episodes are out every Friday at noon Eastern Time at MetalForgeRadio.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Want to know what's going on in the world of music? Then tune in to the Nothing Shocking Podcast, a non-genre-based, all-ages-friendly rock and roll program. Join us weekly for interviews with all your favorite rock stars from the mainstream to the underground. You can find us at nothingshocking.libsyn.com or anywhere you download podcasts. Okay, Metalheads, you've been complaining that there has not been a channel that plays all of the heavy metal videos from past, present, and future for years and years at this point. Well, that time is over. Heavy Metal Television is back. HeavyMetalTelevision.net is the website. Go there. You can see videos playing 24-7, 365, all the time. All the best from the old school, the new school, and everything in between. Check it out, HeavyMetalTelevision.net. It is where the metal is. 